And tonight, I wanted to share about a story in regard to a young man whose name became Samuel Morris. And I won't be able to share it all, but I'll share some of the very important parts of it. Before we do that, let's look at Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now probably if you've been an Adventist for a while, you've heard that pretty close to the beginning. And yet most people don't know what Jesus was talking about. He points out here that if you ask, it will be given you. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, it will be opened unto you. But he goes on to explain what he's talking about. First, though, he asks some questions. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Well, that's not hard to answer that question with a resounding no. Or if he ask a fish, will he, for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course not. Now, he explains, what am I talking about? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So when he's talking about asking, seeking, and knocking, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But there is a tremendous lack in people asking for the Holy Spirit, people seeking the Holy Spirit, people knocking that they may be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's like the Father would give you a stone or he'd give you a scorpion or uh, anything but the Holy Spirit. But that needs to change. We are coming to the end of Earth's history. If we don't get the early and the latter rain, we can forget it. We're not going to make it. And so it's time for us to do as this passage is telling us. And this is what we've been doing this week. And we want to continue tonight. Now, I was a Seventh-day Adventist all of my life. I heard about the Holy Spirit. I knew that God wanted to give his Holy Spirit, but I never really got focused on seeking for the Holy Spirit that much. 
I was interested in the Holy Spirit, but one day, uh, Dr. Marjorie Baldwin gave me a little book, and the title of the book was Samuel Morris. It's a very little book. Well, you know, when you're president, you don't have a lot of time to read. And so I threw it in my briefcase and I carried it around for I don't know how long. But one day I was waiting for my wife who had gone to do something. And I thought, well, I'll get out that book and start reading it. So I started reading it and then uh, pretty soon I said, this is too good to read by myself. I need to read this to the family. And so I read this little book about Samuel Morris. And I'll have to tell you, by the time I finished the book, I was totally ashamed of myself. I had been laboring for God many years, but I was totally ashamed of myself. So I want to share some of the story with you. His name was Kabu in the beginning. He was a son of a heathen tribe's leader over in Africa. And uh, his father had quite a few reverses. And as a result of that, there was another chief that was able to conquer him and was going to try to extract from his tribe all the money and possessions that he could possibly get. And the way they did that was to take the son of the chief and torture him and mistreat him in all kinds of ways to try to motivate the father to give more to this tribe. And so this is what happened. And repeatedly he was whipped until his back was lacerated and the blood was flowing. And he knew his father tried several times, but it was never enough to get him delivered. And so finally he knew that they were going to take him out for his last beating. He couldn't stand up anymore, and so they had this little, uh, I'd call it a sawhorse, maybe something like that, that we use in construction, and they threw him over that, and they gave him his final beating. He knew what the future held, that after that beating, if that did not motivate his father to do more than what he had done already, and he, he'd already exhausted everything the tribe had, that what they would do is dig a hole. They would put him in the hole, bury him up to his neck. They would prop his mouth open and put some sweet-tasting uh, substance in his mouth, and the driver ants would eat him alive. But as he was being beaten, all of a sudden there was this bright light and a voice told him to run. 
And so he took off running into the woods. Well, they don't let this person, he was called a pawn, they don't let him just escape. They go after him. But he was able to hide in the woods for the rest of the day. And as nightfall came, this light appeared. And the light led him, you know, avoiding all of the dangers. And there were all kinds of dangers, wild animals. There were dangers from people who would catch him. And there was even cannibals in that area. And so any of those dangers uh, he could face. But this light led him step by step until he arrived at a place where there were Christian missionaries. They were Methodists. As he arrived there, of course, he didn't know they were Christian missionaries, and uh, he decided to work, and they put him in the barracks, and he started working, but he had a friend, a young, another young man that was a Christian, and he watched him pray, and as a result, he became interested in Christianity, and that's where I want to do some reading because I'm afraid I can't tell it as well as the author of this book. It went on for some time with his being interested in Christianity, and then it came to this night. He wrestled in prayer with such an agonized voice and made so much disturbance in the bunkhouse that his fellow workers finally reached the end of their patience. They warned him that he would have to keep still or seek other quarters. Kabu went into the woods to pray. He remained in the forest one night until after midnight. You know, as we go through this story, I hope you won't treat it as a good story. And this, it is a good story. But I hope you will treat it as a map to being filled with the Holy Spirit. He remained in the forest one night until after midnight. Later, he related what happened. I went to my bunk weary and heavy-hearted, and lay down to rest. My tongue was still, but my heart went on praying. All at once my room grew light. At first I thought the sun was rising, but the others all around me were sound asleep. The room <clears throat> grew lighter, till it was full of glory. The burden of my heart suddenly disappeared, and I was filled with a sense of inner joy. My body felt as light as a feather. I was filled with a power that made me feel that I could almost fly. 
I could not contain my joy, but shouted until everyone in the barracks was awakened. There was no more sleep there that night. Some thought I had gone crazy. Others that a devil had gotten into me. But I knew my own heart. This was my adoption. I was now a son of the heavenly king. Now a little time went by, and three women, women in Monrovia agreed to conduct prayer meetings lasting from midnight to daylight. In this way, they sought to bring a spiritual awakening to the entire community. But they lacked a convert whose example might encourage the others. One night, a boy entered. He prayed for hours, prostrated before the pulpit. The women, supposing him to be a new convert, well, he was relatively new, hurried out to bring the good news to others. So they thought their meeting had gotten a convert. When they returned, they found that the boy was Samuel Morris. He was praying not for himself, but for others. His prayers were heard. Soon, 50 young people accepted Christ at the following meetings. Is that what happens with your prayers? Do you get that kind of result? Now you can see why I was ashamed. I hadn't gotten that kind of result. And this boy was not even a Seventh-day Adventist. Would God do this for a Methodist and not do it for a Seventh-day Adventist? One day, a spirit-filled missionary read to Sammy the 14th chapter of St. John. This was the first time his head had been introduced to the name and full significance of the Holy Spirit. We can't say it's our first time. We have heard about it many times, and we have read the verses, and we have heard it talked about, but this was his first time, and I want you to notice what happened. I believe this is what has to happen to us. When he first understood that this spirit works here on earth and is an actual living person, he had no words adequate to express his wonderment and happiness. Is that the way you feel tonight? Just you're filled with excitement about what the Holy Spirit is able to do while here on earth. He came so often to visit the missionaries and asked so many hard questions about the Spirit that one was finally compelled to confess, <clears throat> I have told you everything I know about the Holy Ghost. <coughs> Has that been your reaction? It wasn't my reaction. And I can't say that even this moment that I have as much of a thirst as he had, but... It has sure changed from before 
I read this book. Samuel Morris had an obsession that it's okay to have, an obsession to learn more, to experience more from the Holy Spirit. But he persisted. Who told you what you know about the Holy Ghost? She replied that she owed most of her understanding of this subject to Stephen Merritt, who was then Home Secretary to Bishop William Taylor. Samuel Morris then asked, where is Stephen Merritt? The missionary replied, in New York. Samuel Morris promptly declared, I will go to see him. Without further ceremony, he started on his way, running directly to the seacoast. He no longer bothered his head about getting the $100 for the passage money. The Holy Spirit was more important than money. He would provide the way. When he arrived, a sailing ship was anchored in the offing. He was filled with joy. His father had answered his prayers. But I want you to notice what he had to go through without giving up to get the answer that he expected. A small boat put out from the ship and came ashore bearing the captain and some of the crew. When the captain stepped ashore to attend to the loading of the cargo, he was confronted by an unattractive black boy who said, my father told me you would take me to New York to see Stephen Merritt. The captain said, where is your father? Samuel Morris replied, in heaven. The captain was a very gruff man. He said with an oath, my ship does not carry passengers. You must be crazy. Samuel Morris stood guard near the small boat all day. That night, when the captain returned to the boat, Samuel Morris again beseeched him to take him to New York. The captain threatened to kick him, and the boat returned to the ship without him. But Samuel continued to believe in his father's promise. Can we believe when it looks impossible? That's what Samuel Morris did. He slept on the sand where the small boat had landed and prayed again most of the night. The next day he was again refused, but such was his faith that he would not leave the beach although he had had nothing to eat for two days. Next morning was Sunday. The captain and crew came again to shore. When the captain stepped ashore this time, the crew boy hurried up to him saying, My father told me last night that you would take me this time. <coughs> the 
The captain looked at him in amazement. Two of the crew had deserted the ship the previous night, leaving him shorthanded. He recognized that Sammy was a crew and assumed that he was an experienced sailor, as were so many of his countrymen. How much pay do you want? He asked. Just take me to New York to see Stephen Merritt, replied Sammy. The captain turned to the boat crew and told them to take the boy out to the ship. Would we work that hard to learn more about the Holy Spirit? Would we run for miles to get to the ocean and then be that persistent until the Lord opened up a way when it was impossible to be able to get on that ship, to open a way that he could get on that ship? I'm afraid we're not very interested in the Holy Spirit compared to Samuel Morris. Samuel Morris was delighted. His prayers had been granted. He was on board a ship bound for America. It is safe to say that Samuel Morris was the first explorer to sail the Atlantic in quest of the riches of the Holy Spirit. On boarding the vessel, Sammy found a young man lying helpless on the deck. He had been serving as cabin boy for the captain. He had been severely injured and was unable to walk. <laughs> the black boy knelt down beside him and prayed for him. The young man immediately arose and walked. Divine healing had made him every whit whole. Now, one of the things that we have to recognize is that the Holy Spirit has to decide what we can do. And he may not give the power to do all the things <coughs> that Samuel Morris did, but before it's over, he will. He will give that kind of power to those that have been as eager for the Holy Spirit as Samuel Morris was. They will bring healing to many people. The crew was a motley group picked up in the four quarters of the globe. Sammy was the only one of his race aboard ship. And the whole crew resented his presence and began to plan to do away with him. Blows and abuses were rained on his head from all sides. On the third night out, Sammy was lashed to a spar in the ship's rigging where he could help reef the sails and pull the ropes. That night, a tropical storm came up suddenly and caught the ship with all canvas spread. 
she was lightly laden. There was no time to reef the sails. They had to ride out the storm. Sammy prayed, Father, I am not afraid, for I know that you will take care of me. But I don't like to be on the mast. Won't you please make it so that I won't have to come up here? He felt assured that his prayer would be answered, but his faith was sorely tried. The spar on which he was bound was often underwater or drenched with spray. Sammy swallowed so much seawater that he became deathly ill. When he was at last untied and brought down to the foot of the mast, he fell in a heap. The captain came up to him and kicked him. The deck was still awash, and the ship was rolling and pitching heavily. Sammy got to his knees, sick as he was, and with uplifted hands prayed. Father, you know, I promised to work for this man every day till I got to America. I cannot work when I am sick like this. Please take away this sickness. Then he rose to his feet and resumed his tasks. He was never ill again on that ship. The next day, when he was about to go aloft, the cabin boy came up to him saying, Sam, I heard you praying during that storm. I don't like it below the decks, and you are not trained to work in the rigging. Let's trade places. Sammy asked the captain if he knew about Jesus. So he's starting his work as the cabin boy. Vague memories of his mother and childhood days stirred in the brutalized mind of the mariner. Sammy knelt down and prayed for the captain with such sincerity and fervor that he was moved to bow his head in spite of himself. It was the beginning of a period of conviction. Here's another experience. Sammy was posted at one of the pumps because during the storm, the ship had been very badly damaged and was leaking water very seriously. So Sammy and others was posted at one of the pumps, which must be kept going night and day. The task was a hard one for an able-bodied seasoned sailor. Sammy was a small, frail boy in his teens, yet he was forced to pump along with the strongest. He pumped and prayed and prayed and pumped. Would you still be looking for the Holy Spirit by that time? The crew were furnished rum to keep up their courage and deaden the pains of fatigue. Sammy was offered rum also, but he said that his father 
in heaven would give him strength. For two weeks they pumped. Sammy's strength was tried to the fainting point, but the Holy Spirit gave him the strength and endurance he lacked by nature. A big melee who thought himself insulted, this is another experience, seized the cutlass and rushed at some of his shipmates with murder in his heart. Sammy stepped between the melee and his intended victims and said in his quiet way, don't kill, don't kill. As it happened, this very melee had boasted to the crew that he intended to kill Sammy. He had a special hatred for all blacks. His cutlass had been fatal to many Africans in previous encounters. He was a killer of the most dangerous type. Even the captain kept shy of him. As Sammy advanced to meet him, he raised his weapon and scowled at the boy as if he would cut him to pieces. Here was his opportunity to make good his threat. But Sammy looked him straight in the eye and made no movement to defend himself. The melee slowly lowered his weapon and went back to his bunk. At that moment, the captain, hearing the turmoil, came on deck with a pistol in each hand, ready to shoot down the troublemakers. When he saw that the crew had suddenly stopped fighting because Sammy had interceded, he could not but recognize that this African boy possessed a mysterious power that was stronger than the animal passions of the most brutal of men. He went below deck with Sammy, who dropped to his knees and prayed for the entire crew. For the first time, the captain joined in prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving that the Lord had sent such an ambassador of peace among them. In that moment, he repented his sins and found newness of life. He was but the first of many Christian converts to be made by Sammy aboard that ship. Under this new influence, the captain no longer paid his crew with rum. Serious fights among the crew ceased. Now, the captain would call his crew to quarters for prayers. The cutthroat melee who had threatened Samuel Morris took dangerously ill. He sank so low that all hope was abandoned for his recovery. Sammy did not know his language and had nothing in common with him. But when he heard of his illness, he went to his bunk and prayed for him. He was healed. 
The crew as a whole were without ideals and had no common ground of affinity, being recruited from all parts of the world. Each lip proclaimed a different tongue. Each heart recalled a different, uh, different home. But now all prayed and sang with Samuel Morris. Differences of race, country, language, and creed were forgotten. Sammy's God became their God. I think that may be the last one. Yeah. Of course, there's more to the story, but that's all I thought I would be able to cover tonight. I'll just give you a few highlights of what happened after that. But I am going to tell the rest of the story and put it up on the YouTube in case you want to get it. And, uh, you know, if you can get this little book, you will be greatly blessed. There's a lot more than what I can share. Well, by the time they got to New York, the whole crew were Christian. Every one of them. And Sammy was their hero. From being someone they hated and wanted to kill while at sea, he was now their hero. And I can't help but realize that while he was going to America to try to find out more about the Holy Spirit, when he gets to America, he's going to be a teacher about the Holy Spirit, not a learner, because he has so much of the Holy Spirit that has come into his life that it just changes everything around him. Well, when they arrived in New York City, there was somebody walking past where you got off the ship. And he said, can you tell me where Stephen Merritt lives? And the man said, yes, I know where he lives. I'll take you there. And so <clears throat> he was led to Stephen Merritt's home. When Stephen Merritt first saw him, he thought, oh boy, you know, but he had to go somewhere and so he left uh, Sammy at the mission that he worked at. And when he came back, he was so amazed at the impact of Sammy's life on the people that were there. He took him home, put him in uh, the bishop's bedroom. His wife objected a little bit to that uh, because of the way he looked and everything. But uh, he was impressed, and that's the way it went on and on in the life of Samuel Morris. Eventually, they decided that he needed some education. I don't know why. He certainly could be the one to give the education. But they wanted to send him to school. <clears throat> and his presence at the school changed the whole school, kept it from disaster. It was, it was headed toward collapse. And it increased the missionaries that went from that school to where there were hundreds of missionaries that went from that school 
to share the gospel in other places due to one person who became obsessed with knowing more about the Holy Spirit, obsessed to receive more about the whole, from the Holy Spirit, and who was determined to pay any price necessary in order to get what he longed for. As I said, when I read that, I felt totally ashamed. I thought back over sermons that I had preached in the past, not specifically, but, you know, about how boring they must have been with lacking the power of the Holy Spirit. And I began a search to seek the Holy Spirit too. I haven't been as faithful as Samuel Morris was. It's been up and down to some extent. But <clears throat> I've had a renewed interest during this week of prayer to really, once again, follow the footsteps of Samuel Morris. If God will do it for a Methodist who doesn't have the last day message. Now, as I tried to figure out when was this, when did this story actually happen? It appears that this story happened right close to 1888. Just a little before, a little after, during probably. This is when this story was taking place and I got to thinking, could it be possible that while Seventh-day Adventists were turning off the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was poured out on a Methodist to help wake us up as Seventh-day Adventists of what God wants to do to us. And I've come to believe that's exactly what he wants to do with this story. Now, there are wonderful stories everywhere. I started studying about the Holy Spirit, and I found wonderful stories in the Adventist history of what the Holy Spirit did for us in the early days and what he did for Ellen White and others. And I found, of course, in the Bible, beautiful stories about what the Holy Spirit did. I'll just share one uh, with you quickly. In the Old Testament of all places, we have Moses, and he's getting discouraged because the murmuring, complaining of the people is so uh, constant that he tells the Lord, he said, this burden you've given me is too heavy. You're going to have to give me some help. I, or even, it's okay if you kill me. I, I, this is too heavy. I can't do it. And God said, okay. Call 70 men, and I will take the Holy Spirit that's on you, Moses, and I will pour out the Holy Spirit on those 70. Well, they sent out the invitation, and 68 of them came. We don't really hear what happened to the 68, but there were two that didn't come, and we, we hear about those. All of a sudden, Joshua comes rushing to Moses, and he said, these two men out in the camp that refused to come when you asked them to come, they are prophesying out in their tents. And Moses recognized that there had to be a reason why God did that. And he said, don't, don't worry. 
about that. He said, I wish that every single one of Israel would have the gift of prophecy. And I believe that is a prophecy of what is going to happen in the last days. It will be fulfilled. His, his prophecy will be fulfilled. And so, uh, of course, we are told why those two men stayed out there. They felt too humble. They didn't feel they could be leaders in Israel. And they said, we'll, we'll stay home because we don't, we're not uh, able to do that. But God said, yes, you are. And he poured out his Holy Spirit on them in the tent. Uh, 